0: Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me. We completed our series of the interviews with Costi Hen and talking about that, I trust that that was an encouragement for you. It certainly was to me. And today, we're going to turn a corner and do another series, this time dealing with the shack. Undoubtedly, you have heard about this, the shack was a runaway bestseller as a book. Uh, the latest numbers that I've seen, the shack has, uh, in paperback, has sold over 20 million copies and has been translated into 550 five different languages. So to say that it is a publishing juggernaut would be quite the understatement. It, um, unfortunately, is right up there with Jesus calling and uh, Heaven is for Real, some other, uh, I guess you could call that theological fiction as well, which is what The the Shack is. But uh, the other day, as of this recording the other day, I and my pastor, Jim Osmond, went to see The Shack, went to see the movie that is out now, and he and I are going to talk about it. Now, just briefly, and will give you a little bit of introduction to William Paul Young. William Paul Young, as you may know, wrote The Shack, Uh, simply as a Christmas gift for his kids. He never had any intentions of it actually being published, much less that it would turn into what it has turned into today. So I I think of all the people who were surprised by it, he was probably chief among them. I have no reason to doubt that that is the case. That's what he tells about himself. But uh, this movie has, or the book has spread like wildfire and uh, multiple, multiple millions of copies. William Paul Young is not a... I don't know that he would call himself a theologian per se, but uh, really everybody is a theologian to one degree or another. Everybody has theology. It just depends on what your theology is. But William Paul Young calls himself a, quote, hopeful universalist, a hopeful universalist. He believes that God sent Jesus to die for, quote, every single sinner without exception, and that one day God will effectually, not eventually, but effectually reconcile every sinner to himself, End quote. Now, this word hopeful, hopeful universalist, refers to the fact that he, he recognizes that sp- Scripture speaks of judgment. But he is hopeful that even in that judgment, the love of God will eventually bring every single sinner uh, who is being judged, bring every single sinner to a place of faith in Christ and will be reconciled to Christ. He does affirm that uh, everyone who is saved is saved through Christ, but he believes that Christ saves, will eventually save every single person on the planet. Uh, William Paul Young, uh, he was speaking with a a pastor in Oklahoma named Wade Burleson. Wade Burleson has been a Uh, fairly prominent in the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, tragically, Wade Burleson has had William Paul Young preach at his church, but according to Wade Burleson, William Paul Young said to him, quote, Wade, you understand my view of God's unconditional love and the power of the cross to save sinners. Most people hear hopeful universal reconciliation, and they think heresy. I do not believe anyone is saved apart from Christ dying for them, end quote, But he goes on to say that he believes that every single sinner will eventually be reconciled to God. And so uh, when I read that, came to understand that part of his theology very reminiscent of Rob Bell and what uh, Rob Bell has written in his book, Love Wins. So that, by way of introduction, Jim, we went to see the movie. We did. A couple of days ago. And so uh, most people are probably at least have a, a vague understanding of the premise of the movie. But talk to us about what is the movie about and... Why do you think it has the appeal that it does?
1: the The movie follows the storyline of the book, and if you're not familiar with the sort of the storyline of the book, it, the book is not a theological treatise. It's not a theology textbook. It doesn't read like a like you're dealing with as a polemic or something like that. Um, the book is it kind of reads like a novel, and though. Uh, Young is a bit coy. Uh, at least as came out in the movie, in the introduction to the movie, he's a bit coy in suggesting that perhaps what you're seeing or reading is not necessarily fiction, but actual but actually an experience that this person had. Because he he says what you're about to see is really happened, or some say it couldn't happen or it might have happened. So he's kind of questionable as to whether or not what he's trying to portray is actually a first-person account or if he's telling somebody else's story. But it is told and reads kind of like a novel. And here's the gist of the story. This is intended to save everybody listening from having to read (laughs) the drivel or to see the book. So if you want to know what the gist of the story is, here it is. This man named Mac, uh, who is the central character of the book. He grew up in an abusive home. His father was a drunkard. His father was a wife beater and he physically abusive to Mac. And that's how Mac grew up. <clears throat> you, um, in, in an interesting connection there in the movie. Um, Mac is uh, Mac's father is portrayed as an elder of his church, and the only glimpse you get in any kind of systematic or organized religion or a church structure is a perverted church that does altar calls, um, that has no understanding of the gospel, and would allow somebody who is a wife-beating drunkard and a child abuser to be an elder in their church. That's it's,
0: it's a negative; it portrays a negative view of the church.
1: Right at the very beginning of the movie, and there's no positive portrayal of any kind of organized religion after that, other than glimpses of Mac being in church singing. With his family. But you, you get no, you don't get no positive, nothing to sort of counter that other view of organized church or organized religion. So anyway, Matt grows up in this abusive home with his uh, mother who is abused by her husband and uh, he's abused by his dad. And this obviously sours him. And then you kind of, you kind of skip, it sours him against God. He always viewed God in a negative light and kind of resented the fact that his wife always referred to God as Papa. That's how his wife uh, grew up talking talking of God and talking to God. So then you kind of fast forward in the movie to Mac, who has three kids, and he went goes on a vacation with his three kids. His wife stayed home, and while he is out on this vacation, this camping trip that lasts presumably a night or two out by the lake, um, while he is there, near tragedy strikes two of his older kids, his son and his daughter, who are uh, out canoeing on the lake. A near tragedy strikes, and he ends up uh, saving his son's life, but while his back is turned, his youngest daughter, Uh, missy i think was her name missy uh she ends up being abducted kidnapped by somebody who eventually murders this girl Uh, murders missy so after a manhunt after his wife is called and he deals with the uncertainty of what's going on and of course it's revealed that there have been other child abductions in the area by this person that they suspect has abducted up to five other different children and they're all missing um it is you finally f- realize that uh this man is located the place of where he took missy is located and it's a shack this run down Ranchackle kind of cabin out in the middle of the woods. And this, um, it, it, and it's, uh, brought obviously late in fall or late in summer by the time they finally find the shack. And they, they come in with the FBI and the, the manhunt team that all the police officers show up at the shack and there's blood on the floor and Missy's dress that she was wearing when she was abducted is there. And of course, he never gets to see or bury his daughter because they never did find the body, um, after she was murdered. This obviously alienates him further from God, as you realize that he is blaming for God for this tragedy. His family is falling apart, and you kind of skip forward several months into the middle of winter. And while he is out um, plowing his driveway, uh, snow blowing his driveway, there there is a, a letter in his mailbox with no footprints in front of it, freshly fallen snow, but no footprints in front of the mailbox. And he pulls out a letter, an envelope that is addressed to him, and it just says Mackenzie on the front, no return address, no stamp, and inside is. a a letter and what is the exact wording of it it says something like um i've missed you it's been a while yeah come to the shack this weekend sincerely papa yeah and of course no signature it's a typed out letter so there's no handwriting and he thought this was a cruel joke so he went and confronted his neighbor and of course his neighbor who's his friend said i would never joke about that so after much anxiety mac finally ends up going up to the shack uh, making his way in the middle of winter up to the shack where his where his daughter was murdered. And when he goes into the shack, he sees, of course, the blood on the floor still stained into the wood, and he has this uh, emotional breakdown. And then as he is leaving the shack, this Asian, uh, no, it's not Asian, uh, Arabic-looking man, Middle Eastern-looking man kind of walks by him and acts as if he knows Mac and says, Follow me essentially, and Mac follows him, and as he follows this man down the trail, just maybe a couple hundred yards, um, the snow-covered ground turns to spring, and it becomes like a garden paradise, and eventually he makes his way back to the shack, but the shack, of course, is not the run-down ramshackle shack, it's more like a cabin in the woods, it's it's furnished, it's nice, it's lavish, it's beautiful, and inside is Papa, who ends up being the father figure, um the figure for God, the father, in the movie, and there is inside the cabin Papa, and, uh, what is called, what is the Holy Spirit? And it is in, played by an Asian woman. So you have a black woman playing the father, an Asian woman playing the Holy Spirit, and this Arabic Middle Eastern man playing Jesus. And the Asian woman's name was Sarayu. Sarayu. And, uh, so then for the rest, for the bulk of the rest of that, of the movie, Mac ends up having these various conversations with sometimes all three persons, sometimes individual persons of the Trinity, as each one kind of helps, does something to kind of walk him through his anxiety, his anger, his fear, his frustration, and the fact that he has been blaming God for what happened to his daughter. And at the end of the movie, of course, after learning all these great things from these three persons of the Trinity, Mac ends up forgiving God, forgiving the murderer, and learning how to forgive, and and this supposedly changes his life and gives him a whole new perspective on, on Papa by the end of the movie. And his family is restored. And so there's a happy ending. That's the movie and in so a nutshell.
0: That's the, yeah, good, <clears throat> excellent synopsis. And it's, uh, the, the book had such an appeal, and I, I don't know how well the movie's doing at the box office, um, but... Obviously, the book had enormous appeal, 20 million copies plus, and count. And one of the reasons for it is it deals with some of the big questions that, that everybody has, right?
1: Every parent's nightmare is having their child abducted, to lose their child in some way with unanswered questions. That is, anybody who has had children understands that, you know, you, you fear that from the moment that you have your child, that you're going to forget them at the grocery store, that you're going to turn your back and look, uh, for a steak and turn around and your child will be gone or you're, you're going to wake up one morning and your child will be taken in the middle of the night and that you won't have any answers. I mean, that is a, that is a horrible fear that nearly everybody with children can relate to. Yeah. And the other thing that it deals with, of course, is how we deal with suffering and tragedy, and how we view suffering in this earth. Uh, you know, all of us suffer in one degree or another. Uh, you with cerebral palsy, um, me with my witty personality. We all have <laughs> crosses that we have to bear. Um, we all face suffering in 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 some way and at some time, and we all. We all experience tragedy. There's bad things that happen to all of us. We're not, nobody is immune from that. We live in a fallen world. And whether it's losing a child or a sudden car accident that takes your spouse or a sudden diagnosis with a terminal illness that's going to take your spouse or your child or your parent or your best friend or your neighbor, we all deal with these issues of, of what it means to live in a fallen world. And consequently, we all have to have some sort of theology that deals with the role and the purpose of suffering. And many people I think can can relate to the temptation to or, or the error I should say of blaming God for those things that happen, as if as if God's omniscience is to blame, or as if God's power is to blame, or as if the goodness of God is to blame, um, and they want to wrestle through where where is God in this tragedy? When my child is taken, where where is God in that? Was he sleeping? Was he did he not care does he not love my child as much as i love my child does god not love me as much as i love me um and so they you know those those type of issues are, are common to, to all men and all people and so the the movie i think the part of the appeal of the book and the movie is it offers a solution to those issues and to those questions and we can in some way all relate to that you know right. you, we can we can all feel with mac who loses his daughter we can all feel that tragedy and and we all we all, all of us, maybe even in feeling that tragedy, might fear that if we, if we feel that tragedy, if we experience that suffering, that we are going to fall into the trap of blaming God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it deals with the, just to dovetail off what you were just saying, obviously, all of us face tragedy, whatever form that may take, in any number of different forms. And probably a lot of it is, uh, uh, we live in a fallen world, and, and pain and suffering is part of that fallen world, as as, uh, as a sparks fly upward, as, as the Bible says. But also, it, it deals with one of the big objections to Christianity, one of the big objections to the God of the Bible. If God God cannot be all loving and all powerful at the same time, mm-hmm. that's the objection. If God is is all powerful and he could stop suffering then he must not be all loving and if god is all loving then because of his love he should want to stop pain and suffering but he obviously doesn't so he must not be all powerful and or he people, could or he would stop suffering or he would stop suffering and but he doesn't and so he must not be all powerful and and that's one of the big objections to christianity they they say you can't have it both ways you can't have an all powerful god and an all loving god
1: with so much Suffering Pain in the world. Right. right. that the existence of suffering either proves that God is not loving or it proves that God cannot solve the issue. Right. And all we would say is an apologetic to that is that the existence of suffering doesn't necessarily prove that God cannot deal with the problem of evil. It's just just shows that God is not dealing with the problem of evil fully at this point, at this time. Right. Didn't it was I think it was Rabbi Kushner, um is that his name? The the rabbi who wrote the book Why Do Bad things happen to good people. Okay, um, yeah. It was some years ago. I remember I had family members who read that book and thought it was great. Um, he basically kind of presents the same issue that you just brought up, and and his, I think his solution to it, if I remember what the book said, was correct, uh, correctly his solution to it was that God is not all powerful. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that God cannot do, and that's mm-hmm. and that's where people typically, if they're going to have to choose between one of the two of those, they will typically say, well, then God must be not all powerful. He can't deal with it. Yeah. He can't do it. So it's his omnipotence that is questioned because we can't, I, we can't fathom a God who doesn't love me as much as I love me. So he must be all loving. He right. must be omnibenevolent as the, the theological word. And so they will then just say, well, God obviously cannot deal with the problem of evil. And we would suggest that God can deal with the problem of evil. It's just that his, his method and timing of dealing with the problem of evil doesn't necessarily fit our timetable. Right. Right.
0: Exactly. So that that undoubtedly gets to the, the heart of the matter and the crux of why this movie, uh, book first and now movie, have been so enormously popular. And uh, as we start to kind of wrap up here, this the book the book has been endorsed. I uh, read an article today by a thousand, at least one thousand um, evangelicals. You're not one of them, are you? I am not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was tempted. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, uh, it really wasn't. But uh, no, you will happily not see my name among that um, thousand evangelicals who endorse it. But uh, let me tell you some of the people who do endorse it. Michael W. Smith endorses it. Michael W. Smith. We all know Michael W. Smith. In fact, he said that after reading the book, he and his wife repented for their own lack of faith. So apparently the shack did for them what the Bible could not. (laughs) So some book uh so he and his wife repented for their own lack of faith. Eugene Peterson endorses the shack
1: he's the he's the message bible uh translator right yeah paraphraser better yeah. Not translator paraphraser yeah
0: paraphraser paraphraser of, of the message, which is um heresy as well. I've written on that uh so Eugene Peterson endorses it Wade burleson I've mentioned him, Baptist pastor and a former trustee of the
1: southern Baptist Convention international mission board. You're not telling me that Southern Baptists are on board with the message or the the, uh, the shack, are you?
0: You know, it, it's it's sad. Uh, LifeWay used to sell this book and uh, promoted it heavily. They wanted it as their book of the month. And, uh, I mean, they were going gangbusters over this. And, and some of the more level-headed folks in the SBC, thankfully, um, started raising alarms about it. And there was a real uh, brouhaha and the discussion about it. And the sbc tragically according to my research has came out with a statement saying that there is nothing within the pages of the shack that would be in violation of orthodox biblical christianity which is a tragic statement to come out of the sbc and we'll see why in the next couple programs as we get into the heresy of this book but um, not all sbc folks would be in favor of it Uh, there would be a Hopefully a sizable number that would not, but there is a sizable number that are. And unfortunately, money talks, um, hmm. especially for Lifeway. Uh, who else? Kathy Lee Gifford endorses the shack. And uh, I almost thought about reevaluating my own position <laughs> when I saw that Kathy Lee Gifford endorsed the shack, uh, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Delilah Rain is a radio host. I believe she's Roman Catholic. Bear Grills. Have you seen that show, Bear Grills? Oh, yeah. I,
1: we watch uh, anything with Bear Grills in it. I'd enjoy yeah. watching it. My, not because I necessarily agree with his theology or even think he's a Christian, but my boys and I like to watch him eat the most disgusting of right. things. Yeah, he's fun to watch.
0: I mean, his uh, it's, it's, show is interesting. But uh, he endorses it, Bart Campolo. Now, if that name rings a bell to you, it it's probably because. Uh, He was raised by a famous
1: apostate, wasn't he?
0: Yes. None other than Tony Campolo is Bart Campolo's father. Tony Campolo calls himself a red-letter Christian, uh, insinuating that there's a difference between the words of Jesus and their authority and then the words of the Apostle Paul. Tony Campolo doesn't like the things that Paul had to say about homosexuals and women, so he calls himself a red-letter Christian. Uh, He's completely... Apostatized now, he's embraced homosexual marriage. Well, his son Bart Kempolo has gone even further off the deep end, if that's possible. Bart Campolo, this is reading his own description. Over three decades, over three decades of Christian ministry, Bart became increasingly committed to building loving relationships, working for social justice, cultivating a sense of gratitude for the wonders of life. Now, as a community builder, that gives me. Like PTSD of our former president. Now as a community builder, counselor, podcaster, and humanist chaplain. Humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California. He inspires and supports non-believers who are banding together to actively pursue goodness in an openly secular way. And he actually says in a summary of one of his podcasts that I came across today, Bart does not believe in a god completely. So these are some of the luminaries that endorse the shack, you know, making daddy proud. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jim, I know, uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm, if I hear of a book that people are talking about, or if I see a book on a, in a bookstore catches my eye, the very first thing I do is I'll flip it over on the back and see who endorses it, right?
1: Yeah, you can tell a lot about a book by the people that endorse it. You can tell a lot about the people who endorse the book by the books they endorse. Right. And I think that there are some rare exceptions to this because you you will pay occasionally get something that will fly under the radar and get, come across the desk of of a notable evangelical who will write a little paragraph because they're trusting that somebody who has a name reputation, you know, is solid and and you can trust them and, but with rare ex that's those are the rare exceptions. Most of the time I will flip through and I look through the endorsements and I don't necessarily really read the endorsements. I just want to see who it is that's speaking. Right. Um and you can you can look into the endorsements of Heaven is for real and 90 minutes in heaven and you'll see the same thing. You'll see a lot of no name guys, but you'll also see a lot of liberals, a lot of female pastors, yep. a lot of people like that. And um uh, yeah you want to look for books that are endorsed by rock-solid people, and uh, you're not going to find that with The Shack. And if anybody endorses this book, it is testimony that they are not rock-solid people. They either lack discernment, they either have not read The Shack, or they have not read their Bible, or they have not read both of them, or they just have no theological understanding about what is being presented in this book.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell a lot about a book by who endorses it and who does not endorse it, and thankfully, none of the Men to whom you and I would listen uh, endorse the shack. All right, dear friends, we are out of time for today. Tomorrow we will get into the movie itself, the book and the movie, and talk about the theology of it. We'll talk about the idolatry in it, the Christology, the portrayal of Christ, the portrayal of the Trinity, and these type issues, Lord willing, tomorrow. So until then, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.